I, um, I have enjoyed the book of Ephesians. I hope that you guys are enjoying the book of Ephesians. Um, it is a phenomenal book. I, I think that it's worthwhile for us as a church to, to go through this more than once. Um, and I encourage you to just read it yourselves. Like the book doesn't take that long to actually read. I encourage you to just, it takes about half an hour if you read just kind of slowly and carefully, but just to enjoy that kind of presence inside there, I would do that. But welcome, welcome today uh, to you. For those who are brand new today, and I see there's a few faces that are brand new, we are in the middle of a series called Grounded in Love, Grounded in Love, and uh, it's based on the entire book of Ephesians, and what you can see behind us, in case you're not quite sure, is the book of Ephesians. You were like, no, really? Yes, that is, the entire book of Ephesians on there. And I, I want to say it, it is fantastic. I want you to, to realize that you can come and mark this book up. You can actually, thanks to Sherry Eichmann, we've actually got a whole set of pens over here. And uh, they're really great to, to mark it up. So I want to encourage you to come forward at some point, mark up the text, underline it. You can actually go ahead. You don't have to mark up the text that we're looking at this week. You can go ahead to chapters four, five, six, all the way through, highlight the text that you like, uh, write a question that you actually kind of like. I don't know why I'm in and out, but I can tell you this, that I really do have it on, and uh, I really, honestly, I do, it's, it's serious, and I haven't muted it, and I haven't put my hand back there. So. I'm being, being faithful, being faithful uh, inside there. But, um, but I am excited about this, and I think that there's so much inside here. And I, I know that we're in chapter three, and we did chapter one last week, and I just, I just could not resist mentioning a little bit about chapter two. Because I think that if you understand a little bit about chapter two, it makes chapter three kind of stand on its head properly. You're kind of like, oh... I kind of get this. There is something unexpected that takes place in chapter 2, and then it builds into the unexpected into chapter 3 that you kind of think to yourself, oh, I kind of get this. Because last week we talked about our circle. This week we're going to talk about our church, and this is how we're grounded, our church. Next week we're going to talk about our community, and the final week, as we end this entire series here, we'll talk about our center, and we will celebrate communion together. And as I said to you last week, we're going to celebrate communion, and we're going to do it differently. And you're like, how is that going to be different? I know. I don't know. We're going to work it out. It's going to be different. If you want to know how we're going to do it differently, uh, you have to think of some ideas how we're going to do it differently and let me know, and that will be how we'll do it differently. We will discuss this uh, next Sabbath at 9 o'clock uh, here for the huddle. We do a little huddle for 15 minutes before worship, so you're welcome to come and join us as well inside there and, uh, and process that. So what is the unexpected that I kind of saw inside there? Now, I could slide the piano over, but I think I'd mess everything up, and, and uh, you can kind of imagine all sorts of things down here, and you may not be able to see this, but you can open your Bibles in chapter 1 of Ephesians, and when you get to the end of chapter 1, you'll remember that as you get to the end there, it says this amazing thing at chapter 1, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. And you need to know this, that there is something kind of powerful as he ends chapter 1, that Paul's just on this point where he says, look, in Jesus Christ, when you think of the world, no matter what's going on, as Pastor Eli was mentioning, no matter what's going on, everything has been put under Jesus Christ. It's just been held together. So I want you to remember that there is this deep, unexpected feeling, but it is not our mission, it's not our logo, it's not our brand, it's not a statement. It is that everything has been put under Jesus Christ. Now, number two here, I want to kind of make sure that you know this as well, is that we are a very driven people. We love to do everything by ourselves. We kind of teach our children to do everything by themselves, right? We're like, come on, you can do this, go. 
Leave. Go be strong by yourselves. It is the most, the largest experiment of society. I mean, we are constantly pushing everybody to be individually independent, strong all the time. We even encourage people when they're getting married, make sure that you are an independent, strong, complete person. And if you are, then, then you don't need anybody. <laughs> and, and that independent, strong person goes marries another independent, strong person, because the idea in our head is that we don't need anybody, as opposed to the model where it says that uh, there is the half and other half, and we actually need each other, which is the Genesis model that God created Adam and created Eve and said, hey, look, I look at you two, and you guys are actually going to need each other. There's going to be things that will be beneficial from each other. So the model of God was that we actually need each other, but we kind of like, like to do things by ourselves all the time. And because of this, there is this kind of like anxiety level that builds up inside of us. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who was telling me about their partner. They live thousands of miles away from here and, and uh, just, their partner's just in, in intense anxiety, intense stress. And you know, we, we pay thousands of dollars to go see therapists and counselors. And the reason is, is because we have lived in a world where we have actually taught ourselves to be by ourselves. So we pay people to listen to us. We pay people to be our friend. Right? We pay people to help us process. Because a good counselor and a good therapist will actually listen to you. They'll actually be your friend. They'll actually understand what you're going through and pull it out of you so that you can, oh, yeah, that, that is actually what I'm saying. That is what I'm thinking. That's what they're doing. Imagine, though, if you lived in community. <laughs> Imagine if you lived in the way that God had created us to be. And this is what Paul is kind of pulling us through in chapter 3 and chapter 2 and kind of saying, I really want you to understand that there's something kind of powerful inside this. So in chapter 2, at the bottom down here, when he says, and you were dead in trespasses, and he says, you're following the prince of this world. I marked it up inside there. And then as he's going through this, he comes up here, but he says, but God... See that chapter 2 verse 4, but God. He says, there's something unexpected. If you just thought it was normal, he says, no, 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 but God is going to do something amazing. And I come all the way down, I mark this all the way down here to chapter, three, uh, chapter 2 verse 18. So then you can understand that you are no longer strangers or aliens, that you are fellow citizens, you belong to each other, you're members of the household of God. What a great story inside Ephesians. And when you think about the fact that Paul is writing this from prison, that's just kind of even more mind-blowing. He's saying, look, you are following this horrible path, but God says, but God says, it's neither this or this. You actually belong to the house of God. There's something that glues us all together, but God pulls us together. And this, by the way, he says, is the mystery of Christ. This is the mystery inside here. This is the first time it actually appears in chapter 1, verse, 19, verse 9 here, this mystery. And then he's going to repeat this mystery all the way through. He's going to repeat it up here. He's going to repeat it down here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and up there as well inside this chapter. He's going to repeat this mystery idea over and over again. I was sharing with Jeremy and Cecil that one of my favorite plays in London is The Mousetrap. Anybody ever seen The Mousetrap in London? The Mousetrap is a phenomenal play, over 60 years old. Um, recently just celebrated that. Uh, not me, The Mousetrap. And, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's kind of one of those uh, classic plays of a, kind of like a whodunit, like a, a Cluedo, or I think you guys call it Clue over here, right? So uh, at the end of this mystery, 
they ask you to promise not to tell anybody, right? To keep the mystery to yourself, not to tell anybody, you know, who did it. So if you don't want to know who did it, just cover your ears, right? Because this is what happens at the end. Suddenly you realize, if you watch the entire mousetrap, that Dr. Mustard took the lampstand and, and he did it in the kitchen. Now you know. You're like, no, of course it's not Dr. Mustard, because that's the game. Of course I'm not going to tell you, because I made a promise to keep it a mystery. You're like, oh, we were going to go see it. No. <laughs> and it is. It's supposed to be a mystery. It's supposed to be covered up. And there are all sorts of things in life that are mysteries to us. My dentist, Dr. Russell Hansen, is a mystery to me. Uh, if you don't know Dr. Russell Hansen, he's over there. He's a mystery to me. You know why he's a mystery to me? It's because while my mouth is open, he speaks to me and asks me to respond. And that's a mystery. And I'm like, oh, what am I supposed to do right now? Well, you're doing your magic here and fixing all sorts of things. And, and I, ah, I'm like, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. I, I, don't, I don't get it, Doc. It's just, that's a mystery to me. There are things that are mystery. It's a mystery to me sometimes when you, you see people reciting the alphabet and they say it at a steady pace and then they get to LMNOP and it suddenly speeds up. It's a mystery. These are mysteries that just are beyond our understanding. Why do suddenly people speed up at LMNOP? I don't know. Just the way things go on this way. Just, it just happens. Now, there is one mystery that has always stumped me, one that I have studied, researched as hard as I could. Why do people sleep? I don't get that. I'm like, I'm constantly like in shock. What are you doing asleep in the middle of the night? I'm texting you and saying, what are you doing asleep? I don't understand why people are asleep. No, I do, I do, I do. Mysteries, of course, are supposed to be a cover-up. So when you read in Ephesians that Paul is talking about a mystery, your immediate reaction is, what? That Paul's covering something up. The problem is that He's using this word in an entirely different way. He's using it in a way that he's saying, this is a mystery that was meant to be revealed. It is a mystery that was not a mystery. It's a mystery that's supposed to be something fantastic that everybody gets. It's a mystery that you feel like, I know. I know the secret. You're inside the circle. You're inside the knowing part. And you feel like, I belong to this. I'm kind of like, I'm in the know of this. It's like uh, I sent a text to all the interns. The, the last summer we had uh, all the youth, who were uh, a whole bunch of the youth who were part of this summer internship. And they created a video. And I sent it out to 600 people yesterday. You may have watched the video. I know that lots of you watched the video yesterday. Um, because uh, just so you know that uh, when you receive an email from us, we can tell whether you've opened it. Mm -hmm. We can tell which links you click. Mm -hmm. Yep, and, uh, so, and I can also tell when you don't open it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so, uh, so I send out this email, and uh, it's the video. We've got several videos that the, the kids actually made, uh, the youth actually made last summer. And the first one we showed you today was of the greeters, the, the, this funny video. So uh, they know what the video is. They have. They knew the mystery of this video. They knew the funny lines inside it. So when they're watching it, Right? It's just like, it's for them, it's just straightforward. They're like, oh, I know what's going to come next. And they are going to have a, a blooper video that we're going to show at some point as well, because it's actually really funny as well. So we will pull it all together sometime in the next few months and let you see that as well. But you should watch that. It is online. It's really worthwhile inside that. These mysteries are important. Paul wants you to live inside the space and enjoy that. And I believe that when you kind of live in the space where you belong and you kind of feel that, you feel more excited. So all the youth turned up on time to church today. 
I was like, what? They were all here to see the video. Even though they made the video, directed it, wrote the script for it, shot it, put it all together, edited, color corrected it, did the entire thing, and have seen it, what, I don't know, a thousand times? <laughs> and yet they're like all on time for church, right here watching the video, because it was a fantastic mystery, because it's a mystery that we're proud of. This is what Paul was saying. I have a mystery. It is a mystery in Christ Jesus. When you know this, you will know what's inside it, and you will want to share it. So from prison, as he's writing this, he says, I want to tell you about this mystery from prison, and it's so good, and you'll want to know it, and you'll want to tell people about it, and hang in there because it is amazing. And this mystery is the mystery that you were memorizing as part of the daily walk this week. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, that Kiefer had mentioned inside the prayer that we had in our community life as well. And I'm actually going to read it to you in the International Children's Bible version that you can see on the screens as well. Because I think that uh, that highlights the way it actually is that we memorize as well. His purpose was that through the church, all the rulers and powers, and this is the the words that we remembered, the heavenly world will know God's wisdom, which has so many forms. This is what he says in verse 10. It's just like he wants to tell us the purpose is through the church, all the rulers and powers, everybody, not, not just here on earth, the entire universe. This is kind of mind-blowing. Paul's like, I'm writing from my prison, not just Rome, not just your church, not just Boulder, not just your city. The entire universe is going to know God's wisdom, all right? God's wisdom, which has so many forms all over the place. And then he says, this agrees, this agrees with the purpose God has since the beginning of time. And God carried out his plan through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what he says. So the mystery is grace and incarnation are revealed through our church. Grace and incarnation are revealed through our church. Lovely words, right? Grace and incarnation. Really fantastic words, often used. We sing about it. We've heard sermons about it. We've used that word incarnation. We've referred to it before. We've understand grace. We sing amazing grace. Sounds beautiful. And what does it really mean when we say grace and incarnation? What happens if you were dragged to church this morning? You're like, I didn't want to go to church this morning. And here I am. Do you experience grace and incarnation are revealed through our church? When you don't believe or even understand who Jesus Christ is. As you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know if I know who Jesus is. I don't know if I believe in this Jesus. Grace and incarnation are revealed through our church. When you are in so much pain that the noise is kind of ringing in your ears, your body is aching, your mind is aching, grace and incarnation are revealed in our church. And when you're mentally exhausted and you can't even put kind of coherent thoughts together, grace and incarnation are revealed through our church. Words really don't mean anything unless we attach a, a reality to them, unless we put something next to them and say, this is a, a word picture next to it so that it means something. I've had people say to me, and maybe you've had people say to you as well, um, where they talk about, man, I just, I wish we could go back to the, to the good old days. You ever had anybody say that to you? Anybody ever say this to you? The good old days, you know? 
Yeah, no, nobody's ever had that. Everybody's like, okay, let's try this again. Anybody here able to move their arm? <laughs> uh, okay, that's good, that's good. Anybody here doesn't, they don't want to move their arm, just let me know. You just have to raise your arm to let me know you don't want to move your arm. That's good, all right, good. All right, so how many of you have had people say to you at some point in your life about something, man, don't you just remember the good old days when we used pen and paper? Oh, yes. How many of you remember when we had a Philofax? Uh-huh. How many of you remember when we had the Palm Pilot? Yeah, the good old days. Yeah. When we had a, a TV with an antenna so we could watch TV. Yeah, the good old days. When our children changed the channels for us. Yeah, the good old days. All right, all right, good. Well, what was the good old days? I mean, when we look back on life and you look back on life and you say, these were the good old days. Was it the 1990s? Was that the good old days? When we had the Columbine massacre, the Oklahoma City bombing, genocide in Rwanda, those are the good old days. Oh, no, no, let's go back a little bit more. Maybe it's the 1970s. Those were the good old days, right? American hostages in Iran, uh, the Olympics massacre, the Vietnam War. No, 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 let's go back a little bit more. I know which one. Everybody, and I've had people say this to me, it's the golden era. It's called the 1950s. Oh man, that was, and cars were straight. They were fast, it was fantastic. Color TV came out, it was the golden era. World War II was over, everything was great, it was fantastic, unless you were not white in the United States. 1950s are pretty rough for some people, right? Nah, so not. Of course, we would like to look at our church and say, it's always better in the past. In the good old days, oh, when things were just so much better in the good old days, when everything was just really, really nice in the good old days, they shared some statistics with us uh, at the pastor's meetings this week. They said that if, uh, there are one million Seventh-day Adventists in North America, they said that if the Seventh-day Adventist church, our tribe, had literally uh, just held on to um, its biological kids, so the kids that they just have given birth to, the generations that are given birth to inside of the tribe, we would be seven million people inside North America right now. We have not retained the generations that we actually are connected to. I know so many people who are connected to Christianity, connected to Adventism, that live within a stone's throw of this church, just the good old days. Was it really the good old days? We kind of like, yeah, back, back, back then it was the good old days. I don't, I don't know if it was the good old days. Maybe if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden before fall, yes, then it was the good old days. But after the fall, the Garden of Eden, it has not been the good old days. It is not getting better. What we're doing is we're just hashing stuff around and trying the best we can. So if ever there was a time when we needed grace and incarnation to be revealed through our church, it is today. It is today. It's always going to be today. It's going to be tomorrow and it's going to be today. And we're going to need it. And I'm not talking about a tepid attempt at grace. I'm not talking about a loosey-goosey kind of like understanding of the incarnation. I'm talking about what Paul, as he's sitting down in prison, is kind of wrestling on. What does his grace look like? As people who are, who are stomping all over him, stopping him from doing what he believes that God has called him to do. As he's penning this letter and saying, I'm right. 
to all the churches where knowing, and, and Paul doesn't even think he's writing the Bible that's going to be part of the canon. He's just writing a letter saying, I just pray that people will get this and understand this. He wants an endless grace. He wants a transformative incarnation. He wants people to see that when you know Jesus Christ, your world is turned upside down. That when you experience grace, you don't hold on to it. You want to give it out to people in gobs of grace, like a huge amount. So you get to Ephesians chapter 3. Chapter 3, all the worst to 14, and he says here, for this reason, by the end of this, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven. He's just at this point in prison where he says, I just, I can't even talk to you. I have to bow my knees. I have to fall to the ground, and I have to pray to you. I have to say, God, because inside you, my spirit and my inner being says it, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. That's what he says, I just want you to know my prayer, my earnest prayer for you is that you are grounded in love. And if you're grounded in love, it can take you through anything. As it takes me through prison right now, it can take you through anything. This is the grace and incarnation that he wants us to be grounded in all the time. The problem is that we don't always experience this endless grace and transformative incarnation. But Paul wants to replant this kind of explosive expression of who Jesus is. He wants to tell us, man, this is what church should be like. I am... Mark McLaughlin's not here today. Uh, he's away today. And uh, Mark and I, uh, we, uh, we're in a competition. One of these, uh, you know, what happens is when you're walking and, uh, or you're doing your activities, uh, the iWatch will tell you, hey, do you want to compete with somebody? And I decided to compete with puny Mark McLaughlin. If you don't know Mark McLaughlin, he may have a few biceps. Um, and so uh, I, I decided to do that. And, uh, yeah, I, I did, and as I competed with him, um, uh, I was doing pretty well. I was doing pretty well. Uh, I would like to say that I was at one point winning day one, and, uh, and then <laughs> it's only a seven-day competition. And then yesterday, uh, two days ago, it was the end of the competition, and, uh, and I may have lost, um, like tragically lost, like epic loss, like I did not take a screenshot to show you how bad it was, okay? Uh, and I hope that he has not taken a screenshot to preserve on Instagram or any place ever again. So I was sharing this with Jonah last night, my son, and my son was leaning on the table, and he's, as he's doing this, Jonah's leaning on the table and he's flexing, right? Because that's what teenagers do, they're constantly like leaning around, looking at the reflection, like flexing, showing... And I'm like, Jonah, what are you doing? He says, just checking out my biceps. And I'm like, seriously? Weren't you doing that? You were like checking out your biceps. And I said, what are you? He says, Dad, that's what we do all the time. Just, oh. And he says, oh. I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, so then I told him about this competition and how I'd lost it. And he said, why would you go against Mr. Mac? <laughs> Have you seen his biceps? I was like, yes. Have you seen my biceps? And he's like, Dad, have you seen his biceps? <laughs> I was like, it wasn't biceps, it was just a walking thing. He said, well, you went against Mr. Mac, I mean, you lost. I was like, I know, I know, it was, it was pretty depressing, it was pretty depressing. And he was like, you know, you just, you just don't get, you don't get these things. And I was like, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm just going to like kind of fade away. So I did, I kind of faded away in, in kind of like this kind of like little space. So I had to go and kind of remind myself of something good in life. So I went back to my manuscript, to my sermon, I thought about the good things. And I remembered some of the good things as I was in this, this depressed state, 
realizing that I had lost this competition. It, by the way, it did ask me, do I want to compete with Mark again? I said, hmm, no. Uh, it was not a difficult decision. Uh, I, said, uh, I said to myself, Mark's very busy, and so I don't think we should compete again. I, uh, I think for his sake, uh, we should decline. decline. And uh, maybe sometime in the future, I will show him truly uh, after I pray some more and ask for the Spirit of God to give me some extra strength inside that, then uh, we shall go again around in uh, two years' time. So, uh, so then I thought about blessings, and I thought, what blessings? And, well, one of the blessings that I thought about is this, this incredible, beautiful thing here that's actually been done. This is created by Johnny Barton, this entire Ephesians thing. He actually said to him, Johnny, I just need Ephesians to be a visual stimulant, and I need it to be on the stage. And he said, oh, I'll, just, I'll create the frame. <laughs> I'll find the material. And then, uh, and then I, I said, yeah, just go ahead and get it done. He did the whole thing. And I said, uh, later on, after he did it, I said, how much is it going to cost? <laughs> and he said, it's a donation to the church. So thank you, Johnny, uh, for creating it. And because then I said to him, because I'm going to do it again for some other series. Ah, thank you. And so uh, uh, this is superb. And then Stacy last week, she was telling me about the juniors and, uh, and how they, they got together. They were studying the text, and it's phenomenal. And they were, as they were studying the text... They were writing about the blessings that they found inside the text. So I pulled this out last night again, and I started to look at this, and they wrote all over the sheet. And I love how they write around and all over the place because it's laid on the table, so you can't see everything. It's beautiful. But they wrote about things that God, that they saw in the text, that God blesses them. And I, just, I read every single one, and I was inspired. And I was like, this is phenomenal. This is a blessing. God guarantees our freedoms. God forgives our sins. Jesus gave us and has grounded us. And he is that God sent Jesus for us. God made us his church. I mean, this is just beautiful. And I love the pictures they put inside it. So I said, Stacey, I need to keep it. And I need to be able to use this. It's just beautiful. I thought, man, great pictures inside here. This is the kind of stuff that just like, I was like inspired by this. And then last night, because you know, I, I was doing this walk thing and I thought, well, I'm not competing with anyone, but I'll continue doing this walk thing because I want to continue doing my circles and uh, making sure that I complete all my circles. So about 11 o'clock last night, I went for a walk and um, I was thinking about a sermon I'm going to do in two weeks time. And so I'm memorizing uh, this passage and as I'm walking, it was snowing out in Tacona a little bit. I'm walking out there, and uh, it's cold. My hand's kind of cold. I'm holding the phone. It's dark. I'm reciting this passage. And uh, walking out there, but you have to walk a certain pace, right? Otherwise, the, the watch says, you are too slow. <laughs> I'm like, I need to get Apple to change that. Uh, they have to talk to the World Health Organization about this, apparently. I will get them to change. And so <laughs> um, as I'm walking there, I put the phone away and I, and I prayed to God about the blessings of life uh, and the things that God has called us to, and I thought about our church. And I, I remembered there that uh, there are days, right, where I, I do feel that, um, that I, I'm like Moses. And uh, let me explain what I mean here, because you're like, well, he doesn't look like he came off the mountain right now. It doesn't look like he's glowing. <laughs> But there are days when I feel like I'm Moses. And my conversations with Jesus is that um, I feel like God has taken me to this mountaintop, maybe like a Mount Sanitas, and he has shown me Boulder, and he has shown me this valley. Um, but then uh, he's shown me what the future of this church is. And I have said to you at times, man, there are times when I, I want to say everything of where I believe this church should be, 
And then I've held back on some of that kind of stuff. And then I've said to, to Jesus at times, um, I don't know, I don't understand what you're saying to me exactly, but sometimes I get the impression that Jesus is saying, uh, like he said to Moses, I'm gonna show you the promised land, I'm gonna show you what this church will be, but you, Japheth, will not take them there. Somebody else will take them there. There will be another senior pastor. There will be another, a Joshua will arise. And I'm like, but, but I can see this. And I'm like, surely I can, I can do this. And, uh, and so I wrestle with Jesus about this. Is, is it, am I understanding this right or not? And what is the process inside this place? And, and as I'm processing this, I'm visioning all this out with Jesus. I'm saying, well, tell me what it is. And, I'm, and as I do this, I say, this is what we live in. We live in this grace and incarnation because I long for this church reality to become because this is what we actually do. So one day, one day, it will be that we live in this moment. One day, I tell you this, we will have a finance committee that meets not just to run this church, but actually has funds to invest and develop land and property that actually moves the mission of this church and actually shares grace and incarnation. That's what will happen one day. One day, this church will have a finance committee of people getting together saying, we're actually here not to talk about whether we have enough tithe and offerings coming in. We're not here to talk about how we're going to make sure that it actually... We have so much surplus that we actually are investing, buying, being innovative, doing that kind of stuff. One day, we will not just have a few, but we'll have many families that go out every year who serve all over the place and invest in sites and mission fields all over the place because they want to be the grace and incarnation. One day we will have this church open seven days a week with staff and volunteers of all ages inside here offering legal and financial advice and sharing grace and incarnation to people all the time. It will be open from the crack of dawn to late at night. It will be the center of this community. One day, one day we will have Camp Sanitas open seven days a week running a daycare center for parents who all live in this area here, run by Vista Ridge and Incarnation, right here on this church campus here. One day we will have a summer internship program for all of our youth, that anybody who wants to do this will learn by some of the greatest teachers that have flown in and brought in and inspired these kids who are not leaders of tomorrow, but leaders of today. That they will leave the summer internship and say to themselves, I will step up into leadership, I will become the leader. Today, I will actually take ownership of this church inside here because they want to share grace and incarnation. One day, we will open up Camp Sanitas on a Saturday morning, and it will be one hour that all... I actually really want to be connected. I want my kids to go and hear the transformational values that will make my kids have character that will mean that they will grow up to be men and women who will run this planet in a way that will be honorable because Jesus is the only one who can infuse that in them. One day we'll run a music school here where we will teach people about music and art and they will write songs and we will create our own songs and we will, we will not only run it but we will actually teach people how to actually express it as well. This will be sharing grace and incarnation. One day we will have a cafe that will be right there, a restaurant, and will be open seven days a week with a glass front and they will see worship on Saturday morning. And I know some of you like, immediately I know some of you like, you can't open a cafe on Saturday morning. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You will have people lining up on Saturday morning. And they were like, but, but you can't sell stuff on Saturday because it's Sabbath and all that kind of stuff. Yes, you can. You will come here with your credit card. You'll give your credit card and they'll give them a card that says, on Sabbath, we bless you. And it is free until our stock runs out. And people will line up because they will not understand the blessing of Sabbath. 
It will blow their mind. One day, one day, we will have Corrientia, our house, and it will not just be rented out to tenants to pay for a loan that we're going to do for renovation. One day, Corriente and another house and another house will be full of theology students, full of graduates from our schools. We will have eight, 16 pastors here, full-time working here, going out, as Jesus says, two by two. This model that we have in this church of having one single pastor is wrong. Jesus said, send them out two by two. Send your elders out two by two. Put them in community. It is impossible. You will not do ministry. When we set up our leaders, when you run Camp Sanitas, when you run Pathfinders, you do it by yourself, you're going to burn out. You're going to have to do it. If you're going to do it, you've got to do it together. You should do ministry always in partnership. And one day we will have 16 pastors working full-time here, owning the territory, walking inside the streets inside here, learning and living grace and incarnation. One day we will have a pastoral team. A pastoral team with pastors living in Boulder, pastors living in the communities, out in Aurora, out in Westminster, all over the place, in the communities where our members live. One day we will be a voice in the city. We will be a regular feature, a center of change. People will talk about it because the kingdom of God will be transformed because we will be speaking to it. We will speak of the injustice. We will speak of what God has called us to. One day we'll be a regular health clinic right here. We will. We will partner with Advista Adventist Hospital or whatever other hospital wants to do this. We will offer local care and wisdom and share the grace and incarnation. I have had people ask me on this street, it would be great to have that. One day we will hold the finest concerts, the finest art festivals, the finest lectures and debates and gatherings. One day this Shankri will be filled with people in intelligent spaces where they can actually be inspired by God and understand that Jesus calls them to a conversation. He is not scared of any discussion because he wants them to experience grace and incarnation. One day every single member and partner will be connected to a life group. You're like, what? Yes, you will be connected to a life group, a community collective. You will actually belong to each other. You will take time in the middle of the week. You will actually look at your time, not your children's time. You'll look at your time and realize how much time you spend on Netflix every single week. You'll realize how much time you spend on TV or you spend on socializing and realize that you could take off two hours in a week and spend an evening together and actually be in the Word of God and the community and pray and love each other. You'll realize that you actually do have time in your life. One day we will support every single student that is local here and is far away that they are not alone. When they go to a campus with 50,000 other students, this church knows them, remembers them, and talks to them. One day, we will not miss a single birthday. One day, we will not miss a single moment in people's lives. As they go through their walk, when something great happens, we will celebrate it as a community. We'll be proud of these moments. We will bring them and say, bless you, we will pray for them. One day, you will pray for each other. One day, we will not make sure that anybody who cannot come out of their home will be visited. Every single person who is physically not capable of leaving their home will be visited. This is grace and incarnation. One day we will have every person know that they grow in God, that Jesus is calling them to a daily connection. He says, if you're not plugged into me, if you're not charged by me, you can't just come to church and get your reserve tank filled up. You've got to be connected. One day we will help every person discover and know Jesus. Because as we share grace and incarnation, one day we will look at each other and see. 
the mystery is grace and incarnation and it was revealed through our church not that it will be it was